Welcome back to Senior Living Arizona, devoted to educating and enlightening the senior community and their families within our beautiful state and beyond regarding retirement housing and getting the most out of aging. On behalf of Senior Living Services in Arizona, I'd like to introduce today's host, Linda Demita. Hello there, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on Senior Living Arizona. I have a fabulous guest for you today. Miss Leslie Jenkins is the Northern Arizona Community Executive for the Alzheimer's Association. I'm sitting in her office in Prescott, Arizona, and we're going to talk about the walk to end Alzheimer's as an introduction to today's podcast. So thank you so much, Leslie, for joining us oh, today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always an honor to be able to share yes, the work that we do. It is amazing. Just the conversation that we've had before starting today um, has enlightened me quite a bit already on what Alzheimer's Association is about. So would you elaborate a little bit about the the walk to end. Oh, a, it, I see the hashtag is hashtag walk to end ALZ. So can you elaborate on that? For Would us? love to. So walk to end Alzheimer's is a it, it's a it's a cause. It's a push. It's an awareness event that the Alzheimer's Association does. We have about 600 walks across the country. Um, Northern Arizona actually hosts two. Um, we hold one in the Verde Valley this year will be in Cottonwood. And we also hold one in what we call the Quad Cities that's held in Prescott. Um, our Prescott Walk is October the 1st um, at the Yavapai College campus. And our um, Verde Valley Walk will be in, in Verde Valley, in Cottonwood. We're still honing in on the, the actual location, but very excited because this is the first year to be held in Cottonwood. Past years, it was in the Sedona area. But we've had, um, you know, just like with everything, things evolve and people that come on board who were really interested in seeing us host a walk there. So we're very excited about that. But what does that mean? And one of the things that I share is, yes, it is a fundraiser. I mean, we are a local entity, um, even though we are part of a national organization, no different than others. You know, we have responsibility to help raise needed funds to provide what we call care and support services, also help with research um, and the like. But it's also an awareness event because oftentimes um, in this span of time that I've been with the association, I'm you know passionate about what we do and that is to, to provide care and support to caregivers as well as those that we call persons with dementia who are impacted by this disease. Um, and so the walk gives us an opportunity to build awareness um, for the services that are available to them. So the great thing about the walk, you know, what does that look like day of? You have people that actually for this walk, um, this will be the, th the second or the third that I've been involved with. But you have people coming from all over the region because, you know, Verde Valley in northern Arizona is such a beautiful area that. Last year's walk, we had people from Phoenix, from as far away as Sholo, Holbrook, that come into the community. And it's a, a sense of camaraderie. It's a sense of, of just coming together and affirming, you know, what people go through. Because, I, you know, I say this is a daunting and a devastating disease. And you can't begin to describe what a family's journey will be 
as their loved one progresses. So to see people who are coming together and, and walking in support of the work that we do, the way that we bring them together is, is one of the, the activities that we hold is called the Promise Garden. And so the Promise Garden is a sea of different colored flowers, and each color of the flower represents a person's connection to the disease. Oh, wow. So we have a blue flower. And so a person who comes and collects a blue flower, you know that they actually are someone with the disease. You may see someone who is carrying a yellow flower. And we know that that person is actually a caregiver of someone with the disease. Um, you may see someone that's carrying a purple flower. And the purple flower does signify that they have lost a loved one oh. to the disease. Um, and then it's also the orange flower. And the orange flower is someone who may not have a personal direct connection to the disease, but they are aware of the disease, maybe through family, friends, co-workers. And so they're advocates and, and supporters of the work that we're doing. Um, and then we have, which was introduced a, a few years ago, we call it the white flower. And there's only one person that carries that flower um, on event day. And it's usually a young child. And that, that is for hope. And for one day receiving or, or being able to find that cure for the disease. So the walk, yes, it is a fundraiser, but it is truly so much more than that. And it's not until people come and take part that they actually get to experience something truly awesome. I think uh, this is going to benefit a lot of people to understand because so many people have loved ones mm -hmm. that start showing behaviors that they don't recognize as a form of dementia. Mm -hmm. They might think that their their mother or father is just being difficult mm -hmm. or well, she's always been that way and now, she, now she's getting older, it's just getting worse. Mm -hmm. And I've also heard um, and seen where people will um, have a form of dementia or maybe it's, it's early Alzheimer's and they cover it up. Oh. They, mm -hmm. Because they know something's not right, mm -hmm. but they, they don't want anyone else to re recognize mm -hmm. it. So they'll, they'll make up stories and they're not intentionally lying, but they'll make up a story to cover because they don't want it to be discovered that they may not know how to do something anymore or remember how to get somewhere, remember someone's name. Mm -hmm. So how did, well, how did Alzheimer's evolve in, in, the, in the sense of, we know I, I we talked about this earlier. You said it was a doctor mm -hmm. who discovered who took basically discovered that there was a series of symptoms, and then that did that lead to them recognizing what was going on in the actual brain? Exactly. So there was a, a doctor who discovered what what is commonly called plaques and tangles that have that impact on someone um, having Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, and so that is part of the research side and identifying, you know, what that disease is. And also to, to note that um, Alzheimer's is one form of dementia. Oftentimes we hear from people that say, oh, I, I don't have Alzheimer's because they actually look at that as being taboo. I have dementia or my husband has dementia. Well, Alzheimer's is the most prevalent form of dementia. 
we're finding that 60 to 70% of those who are diagnosed are diagnosed with Alzheimer's. But there are vascular dementia, there's Lewy body dementia, um, and there's dual diagnosis of dementia. There are people, not all, but some people who may have Parkinson's who then actually have a form of dementia. So vascular, you know, connects to, you know, the, the mobility and people moving. So understanding that there is actually varying types of dementia. And so to put it in perspective, and I feel the easiest way, the unfortunate, but the easiest way to describe, I say that dementia is to cancer as breast cancer is to Alzheimer's or Lewy body. So dementia is the umbrella term, just like cancer is the umbrella term. Okay. And then you have varying types of, and it also means with that varying types, it shows in different ways. So someone with, with Lewy body, um, they may show different than someone who has Alzheimer's. So even in that space, it, it is different. Um, so that's part of the doctor who originally discovered, you know, um, dementia, um, plaques and tangles being part of that. But the association itself was formed just in 1985. So it's still a relatively new organization in the grander scheme. And there was a group of individuals who were experiencing, um, you know, the need to care for their loved ones. And they were finding that they there wasn't a lot of attention, if you will, being given to dementia and the caregivers not having the support that, that they needed to really come to terms and understand how to care for their loved one. And then frankly, in the research side. Right. And so um, the Alzheimer's Association was actually formed with a group of um, people who really wanted to find ways to provide support and it has evolved so there is a component that is definitely geared towards research um, and then there is what i would consider that local piece where it's care and support services um, we have a 24 7 helpline we offer support groups we have educations that people can attend either virtually and some in person to get to know better or more about the varying aspects of the disease. Understanding Alzheimer's and dementia is one presentation. 10 warning signs is another. Understanding behaviors is another. So there are different ways that we try to provide what we call care and support services actually to the caregiver so that they can be the best caregiver that they can for their loved one. You mentioned about the, um, you know, about, you know, the, that person who's trying to keep it secret, right. who has dementia, but it's just as many of the caregivers who have to keep the secret because their loved one is telling them, don't tell anybody about this. So this caregiver is going through this by themselves because they're not able to to share what is happening because they don't want to expose their they loved don't want one to and have them feel even more self-conscious or i can understand that exactly but it, it then bears the burden on the loved one or the caregiver to try to hold that secret 
to try to come up with excuses when their children or their friends are like, what's going on with Ted? Why is he acting? Oh, you know, it, it's those fibs, if you will. Um, when in fact, what should be done is to make their family aware so that that they can better um, be prepared to understand how to navigate this new normal that they're that they're going through. What do, what do, how do family members, I mean, I suppose that if they recognize and realize that there is dementia or they get a diagnosis mm-hmm. of Alzheimer's for a loved one and they come to the organization for assistance, how do people know or when is it time when a caregiver can no longer provide the appropriate care for their loved one because they may be a danger to themselves and others. Mm-hmm. How does the association help people to recognize that and then support them through that process when they can no longer actually be the caregiver? Mm-hmm. We actually want to have that conversation with them even before it gets to that point. We want to have that conversation with the person with dementia and their caregiver putting together a care plan. So having a care plan is really starting to have those discussions when you can before your loved one has what I would call diminished capacity to communicate. So if you're having those conversations early on, you're talking about there may come a time when I cannot provide you with the best care, when it's not safe for you to be in my care. At what point are you okay with me having consideration to to put you someplace safe? so that I know that you're getting the care that you need. It's a very hard conversation. No doubt. Very common conversations are there will come a time when you cannot drive, that it's not safe for you and it's not safe for those who are also on the road. How do you want me to to work with you or how can we come to terms with when it's time to do that? So having those difficult conversations because they are before it gets to the point where your loved one is no longer able to communicate and frankly to get your legal affairs in order so often people you know that that i that i've come in contact with or where i've learned that oh well you know we'll just deal with it as it comes okay so who's the executive of your estate well it's my husband Okay, well, your husband has dementia. So if he's responsible for the finances, for for your medical power of attorney or any of that, and something happens to you and they're looking at your your records to say, oh, I need to talk to her husband and he has dementia and he's in a, a, a progressed state that doesn't bode well for either of you or for the family. So it's really thinking through early on and sooner than later, having those conversations about, hey, we need to take the finances and, and, you know, redistribute. We need to look at medical power of attorney or or what the powers of attorney may be for, for the community or the area that they live. Some actually require a mental health power of attorney. So if, if these things are not in place, that even exacerbates 
you Absolutely. know, what I, the family's I, going through. I had to do that with my dad. Mm-hmm. I had to get mental, durable power of attorney in order to even, because he had gone into assisted living, mm-hmm. in order to even be able to access any of his funds. Mm-hmm. Because when I called, even though I was his power of attorney, financial durable power of attorney, even though I was his beneficiary, I didn't know I was his beneficiary, but even though his investment company knew mm-hmm. they would not give me any information and I was at a loss and it wasn't until I did that that I was able to even manage what he had mm-hmm. left in his account to help him for his his care his quality of life yeah for- and so mm-hmm. these 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 things that we're discussing does the Alzheimer's Association do all this assistance for free? Is there a charge for people? How does it work for, for the caregivers? So to, to put in perspective, so we don't do, because we don't have the capacity to do direct services. So someone, um, for them to come to us and say, I need a power of attorney. We don't have the capacity just by staffing and, and, and for other reasons to do that. However, we can make recommendations and referrals. These are the types of people that you need to talk to if you're looking for a power of attorney. I see us as being part of the village or part of the team where if questions come up or if if there are concerns, there is a place for them to call immediately. And that would be our 24-7 helpline. So they're available 24-7, 365, even during holidays. Um, And the key point that I share is these are master level clinicians and social workers who are paid staff. So these are people that this is what they do day in, day out, talking to people across the country who are very familiar with what steps need to be taken. Cues, you know, in conversations that they may have with someone to be able to guide them. So they can definitely put you in touch with, even in your local area, because oftentimes when I talk to people about an 800 number, they don't know anything about me in Prescott. They don't know anything about me in Village of Oak Creek or you know in Northern Arizona. Well, just like any other, they'll ask for your first name, last name, phone number in case you get disconnected, and your zip code. And actually within our database system, they have the ability to pull up resources from our region or from the very community. And if there's any follow-up that needs to be done, there is staff that are part of our office in Northern Arizona who can actually do the follow-up. That's fantastic. So we'll make sure to put this information into our show notes. Beautiful. So that people can go there mm-hmm. and and see these the 800 number and the information of where they can get some help. And I think that's really important for them to know. So if even if it's somebody who's in Arizona listening to this podcast mm-hmm. or it's somebody in Philadelphia listening to this podcast, this information can help them no matter where they are in the country and if they have somebody who's a family member far away, and they're like, hey, I think that grandma might have Alzheimer's. They can say, mom, call this number. This is where you can get the help that you need. Exactly. And, it's, and it's nationwide. Exactly. And that's the great thing about it, that they can tell mom to call and they can call because they're like, I'm, I'm 3000 miles away and I'm trying to I don't know how to help. We can give them some guidance and some direction that's on how to help. And then when mom calls, I'm dealing with this day in and day out, and I don't know how to navigate. And we can give mom help day in and day out on, on, on what, what supports that she may need. 
you know, and being able to tell her, maybe you should look at going to a support group. Oh, I'm not going to tell my business to anybody else. But once a person gets to these groups and they hear, oh, they're dealing with the exact same thing that I am. Um, it, it, it's, it's affirming if, if, if we can use that word um, in this space. We, we like to tell people that they aren't alone because it's sure so that, isolating. I'm sure that brings them some comfort. Because, it, uh, yeah, because it does seem like it'd be very isolating. How, how, what's generally speaking when somebody realizes that they have a problem? Because some of the people listening to this podcast might not be the caregivers or the family members dealing with somebody who is going through dementia. What is it like or what would you advise for those who may be questioning their own mental health? Mm-hmm. And where they're at, or if they've been diagnosed or they realize that they have de- dementia, um, what would you suggest for them? Like, what's the what's the next step that they can take outside of what they're doing with their doctors? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's it. One of the things that, that we are looking to work more closely with is our doctors, that as they give that diagnosis, that what we would love for them to do is give our 800 number. Because, and, and, and you know, I've heard so many stories that just bring to light different journeys and paths that people have taken in this space. And there was someone that shared with me that their loved one actually traveled from northern Arizona to Nevada for a doctor's appointment. And um, in that space, they get to the doctor's appointment and they're told, you have dementia, come back in three months for a follow up. So this person had four hours to drive back trying to process, what does this mean? Where do I go? What, what do I do? Where if, as we're cultivating relationships with these offices, all they say is call the Alzheimer's Association 1-800 number. If you have any immediate questions, they're the ones to, to be able to help you, you know, to you know, to, to create your journey or to help you to better understand. And my thing is, I tell people, call that number before you even call our office, because everybody's office hours are different. Mm-hmm. Um, we're out in the community because we are, we're very short staff. So we want you to call the 800 number before before you call us, because they're there. And 24-7, 24-7, 365. That's mm-hmm. the important thing because you might be having an anxiety attack at mm-hmm. 2 o'clock in the morning exactly. because you just got a diagnosis or maybe your husband or, or your spouse or your or your mom or dad just got a, a diagnosis and you can't sleep and you're like, who do I talk to? What do I do? Mm-hmm. To know that you have access 24 hours a day, every single day. And they speak to, to 200 different languages if wow. that's needed. So there is that level of support. You can even call and say, I don't even know what to ask. I'm so overwhelmed. They're trained to be able to guide that conversation. Well, how are you doing? What, you know, what's, what's bothering you today? You know, what's your frustration? That's fantastic. And, and it's, it's so invaluable. And so that's part of what the walk to end Alzheimer's helps helps us to be able to to continue to provide in our area so a question just about just a little bit about alzheimer's what's the average age i mean can young people get alzheimer's or is it only you know somebody 80 and above or 60 and above like what's the kind of average so historically and it continues to be the case the average is 65 and older and more often when we talk to families you know it's it's a loved one who may be in their 80s 
um, in their 90s even who, who have just been diagnosed and you know, not to be morbid or, or, or crass, but it's like, yay, that, that it's coming on that, that late, that late yeah. in life, um, you know, so that it, it's not as impactful, if you will. Um, but more often now, um, people are, have been, that I'm aware of, have been diagnosed as early as their um, mid-30s. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a, a co-worker and um, she shares her story. So I think she'll, she's okay with sharing her story. But for perspective, her husband was diagnosed at 52. Um, I joined the, the association and, and had the pleasure of meeting him when he was 54. And um, he passed away in December of this year, of last year at 57. Wow. So it, and I think that it's probably becoming more prevalent or diagnosed early because, you know, the earlier people are, you know, their loved ones are like, no, we want to figure out what this is. So diagnosis is becoming more. Um, is there more an, is there an average lifespan when you have dementia? I mean, it, I would think that it would be vary from different it, ages and demographics. I don't know. Does any of that affect it? It does. Um, on average, it's four to seven years. And, and when I think about um, my coworker and her husband, he was diagnosed at 52 and, and he, you know, he was no longer with us at 57. Um, so more often on average, it's probably about seven years. But then I've also you know, heard of what I would call the long haulers who have had the disease for 15 plus years. and and frankly the toll it takes on the caregiver because you're you're in this slow progression of just seeing your loved one you know slowly decline decline and yeah. you know in in their case their their loved one is is now i mean in their 90s beautiful in that regard but on a feeding tube so it's quality of life and what the reality of this disease is because it is a fatal it's a terminal disease and 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 that's that's important to that's know. important to to know to accept to come to terms with as you prepare to you know to provide that support to and your loved one we don't know really know yet do we what causes it no and and more and more it, we're finding you know first there was no it's not diet and now we hear that it could have some attributions to diet you know some people are well it's genetic and then I've known people who they have it on both sides of their family, their mother and their father, who, you know, they don't have it. So there's that's part of the challenge um, of the, the, the disease and the charge that the association has taken in, in trying to help, you know, find that cure and being dedicated in that space. How, how what kind of medications do they have right now or treatments do they have to help people with Alzheimer's? Well, I think that the, the key point there is there is no true medication. I mean, there's one very controversial one um, that is more geared towards people with early onset that's very expensive. Mm. There are medications. However, the medications are treating the symptoms. It's not that, you know, people are like, oh, well, I can give them this and they're, they're going to be OK. No, it's depending on what the symptom that they are showing is that needs to be managed. That's what the medications um, are doing in in helping in that regard. 
it's really important to have an organization like this. I mean, now that I'm learning more about it, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've not had any um, real uh, family members, anybody with, with Alzheimer's. My dad had a moderate dementia, mm-hmm. but it was totally manageable. Mm-hmm. You know, it never, it never progressed to anything worse. Right. Um, but it was frustrating at times, you know, having a conversation and you just sort of check out. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you, so when people get an early, if they find out early, they get a diagnosis, and that's where getting their directives in order makes a lot of sense because if they're on a feeding tube because they can't that is that a directive thing like that's because they didn't have and if they didn't have a feeding tube or they didn't have a directive about that would they just if they couldn't eat anymore uh, and they say they, they were a dnr like a mm-hmm. do not resuscitate or they had a directive that said just let my disease do its thing then it would just be a natural progression towards death. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. And even with the um, the feeding tube, um, in the case of uh, this the, this loved one, they were in, a, in an assisted living facility, so that was part of the quality of life. That you know, yes, they were they were growing old, but no different than someone else. You know, who may not have dementia, they may have another type of disease. That in order for them to get their their nutrition and their sustenance, they need a, a feeding tube, and this woman i mean she literally is and she's still with us she's in her mid 90s but has her family has been you know part of this process for upwards of 15 to 20 years my goodness yeah but to your point about the directives and just getting affairs in order when it's early enough that you can communicate and have those conversations and they can sign off on in you know because they do have enough mental capacity if you will that you want to get that taken care of sooner than later another um, example of of where this you know went went wrong frankly was a, a older couple came in to our office and they talked to our uh, social workers we do we're fortunate to have one on staff and um, she had been diagnosed but they were older and they're used to you know you take care of your own you Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and so our our, our um, staff member had tried to reach out and said hey these are the things that you should be doing and never got called back never got follow-up which is very common yeah um you know they're like once we hear what we want to hear maybe we don't we don't want to deal with and he came back to the office maybe a year or so later and wanted to talk to her and he said he said i had no idea how fast this was going to happen because in his case she had passed away in a year and it was and that's common too because you just don't know i mean we say that one person with alzheimer's or dementia is one person because oftentimes people like cancer what stage is it where am i well you can actually be in you know early moderate to late stages all at the same time it just depends on you know which symptom or which aspect so it's it's you can generalize, but ultimately everyone is different in in how they and they how, are dealing with and and how it how it progresses for them exactly because that was going to be one of my questions like can it can it progress quickly where you mm-hmm. get like a cancer mm-hmm. you know it can be slow growing or fast growing mm-hmm. it can you can you know so I was curious about that so it can be something that can take you quickly it can and and you know not all the time but oftentimes right. what I'm what I'm observing is, you know, a traumatic event can exacerbate it and speed it, speed it up. So, you know, someone who may have the disease who has a fall, 
and that's traumatic but it, then it it actually is, is exacerbates if you will the the disease and they progress much quicker you know i've heard stories of you know they they've had dementia they know they had dementia or the family has they've been caring for their loved one for 20 years and they've been you know in that mild to moderate state and then the the loved one sustained a fall and you know within a few months so it it's it's different for everyone but i think the key piece here is to making sure that affairs are in order so that it's not even compounded challenges for the caregiver and then just to know that you don't have to go through this journey alone how often do people who have dementia actually when it's progressing know that they have dementia or do, is, is has that been measured is there science to to help us understand if the person realizes that because i i do know of, of one woman and she she's she'll apologize because she can't remember something. And she'll say, you know, you know, I'm forgetful. And I know I'm forgetful. And I'm so sorry. And you can tell that she's, she, mm -hmm. she understands mm -hmm. that she's, she has been diagnosed with, with Alzheimer's. She understands that she's got memory issues, but she doesn't, sometimes she just will get a little defensive um, or angry because she thinks people might be lying to her about the direction of her apartment or where her daughter is that day, or she is sure that it's another, uh, it's a different day than it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so how, 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 when people progress to a certain point, are, do they get to a point where they just, they just really don't know they're kind of living in a, in a different altered state? Does it vary? It varies, but ultimately it is the reality of those are symptoms of the disease that, they, you don't know what day it is. Um, you, you, you don't know how to get back home. You don't know who your loved one is. Um, and then some of that from what you're describing and you know, from my own observations and what I've, what I've seen, that's the, the defense is their own frustration in just knowing that they don't know. Um, in fact, oftentimes, uh, when it comes to when people talk about, well, they, they're aggressive, they're, they're acting out. More often than not, and I'm not a doctor and don't, I don't proclaim to be one, but more often than not, if, you ask, if I ask the question to say, so what, was, what, what happened before? Oh, well, I, I kept asking them, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you want anything? Can I help you? Are you cold? Are you this? And, and then they just started banging on the table. I said, well, that's because they're frustrated with you because you wouldn't leave them alone. <laughs> you know, you're, you're thinking, you're nurturing, and you're trying to be helpful, but, you know, no different than anybody else. You're, you're badgering. And they may not be able to verbalize it, so... You know, it may come out as, you know, banging on something or just, ah, because they can't. Similar to a, to a child. Yeah, I mean, yeah. oftentimes a toddler that hits or pinches or, or throws a fit is just because they haven't developed the communication skills. Exactly. So, exactly. I, um, story was shared with me that really hit home when it comes to understanding, you know, behaviors and symptoms of the disease. Gentlemen. Um, had his family who was visiting him at, at an assisted living facility or he was living in a in a facility 
And where they set them up to visit was in a common area. And you had activities going on to his right. You had the cafeteria not far back and you had the staff that was working and, and cleaning up and, and doing. So there was a lot going on. Some of um, those with dementia, you know, their hearing becomes. So they may have um, different, you know, things that are happening behind them. And part of it can be their hearing is diminished as, 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 as a symptom or just in general, as, as you age, your hearing diminishes. So in this case, there's all of this background noise and he's sitting here and he's looking at his family and they're talking and he's, he's trying to hear them and he's having a hard time. And then all of a sudden you hear him go, shut up. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> and, but somebody I felt like you, doing that a few times myself right? in public. <laughs> yeah. You know, but in this case, they're like, oh yeah. He's got dementia, so he's aggressive. Or, will you be quiet? Well, it's him being frustrated because he's trying to communicate and engage. So what I learned from that was, you know, even if you're able to take your loved one, you're still able to take them out into the community. If you want to take them to a restaurant, contact their favorite restaurant or contact the restaurant and say, when is your slow time during the day? Um, so that there's not as much noise. And do you have a booth that's kind of off, you know, in a corner? Just being more thoughtful, if you will, about just little things that just helps them to be able to be a part of and just understanding that the dynamics are so different from them than what you're used to. It's like, we always went to a restaurant or there's always, but now there's so much going on that it gets frustrating. I, I had to do that with my dad. Mm. I cause I, he would he would he would say, Wow, it's so loud in here and I can't hear anything. And he too would get frustrated. He even did that where he was living at Sedona Winds once. Mm-hmm. And I was really shocked when they told me. And he, he it got loud in the dining room and my dad banged his hands mm-hmm. on the table and did exactly that. And he said, quiet down and everybody quieted down but that was because they were just shocked and it was because he was getting overstimulated Overstim- exactly overstimulated exactly. and and then when they when he would get overstimulated he'd get overwhelmed exactly and that's very common and so then then they act out it's just like children it really is it, it really is oh my gosh this yeah. is really really helpful so so when it comes to the alzheimer's organization itself and the walk to end alzheimer's I understand that you have people on staff, but you really uh, exist because of volunteers. Yes, most definitely. So how does that work? And, and if somebody was interested or had the time, how would they get involved as a volunteer? Well, the great thing for, that I feel that we offer are options. You know, you do have those who I'm not really a program or what we would consider our program volunteers. Those are our volunteers who are our support group facilitators, are our educators who go out in the community and, and help in that space. They may be, you know, well, I used to do special events or I used to do fundraising. And so they may want to help be part of the walk planning committee or maybe not, you know, help throughout the year, but show up the day of that they're interested in being a part of day of. So there's definitely a space. And now we're, you know, now that we're coming back out into the community, 
You know, we're seeking opportunities to go to community events um, so that people know about our work. And we have what we call community representatives who are people that will go and be a part of our table. And when people are coming and talking about, you know, wanting to get more information, these are usually people that have had their own experience with dementia so they can speak peer to peer about you know why it's important or why they would benefit from the programs and services that we offer but then when it's on the program side we have support groups and we have dire need to what i call plant more support groups if you really think if you think about it um, the best number if you will of participants in a support group is eight to ten no more than um, because you want to keep it intimate and you want to keep it manageable and you want to be able to give people an opportunity to share you know what they're experiencing you know since the last time that they met um, and our our support groups are growing um, to the point that it, it becomes it, it has challenges so we are looking for support group facilitators and what does that look like? And even for our educators, and I'll, I'll, I'll lump them together in that space. If you have had a background or experience in education or nursing or medical fields, great. But at the end of the day, what I'm looking for are people that have a heart for people and have a heart for those who are going through this devastating journey. We can train you to be able to facilitate. And when we say facilitate, it is not about you, you know, a person leading <laughs> the group. It's about you navigating and managing, just ensuring that everyone gets a chance to talk in, in, you know, helping them if, if you hear that someone may be in crisis and how to help, you know, deescalate the situation for that time and then be able to put them in touch with the appropriate resources. Same thing with our educations. Our educations, we probably have about 13, what I can consider, and they are, they're um, trademarked Alzheimer Association educations. And they're general enough, understanding Alzheimer's and dementia. So someone who's coming are able to you know, engage with a facilitator who's actually guiding a PowerPoint presentation that's what's even better is has embedded subject matter experts that are actually sharing the the information. We just need people that are willing to be a part of that they can help to share they the don't, information. So they don't have to be an expert themselves. No. They can just be a facilitator of providing that information mm -hmm. and guiding people towards mm -hmm. the the resources exactly. and contact numbers mm -hmm. and whether it's pamphlets and and websites, there's a lot out there for them to assist people through the process of either being a caregiver or dealing with dementia or both. Exactly. That's exactly. fantastic. Yeah. So, so we'll put that in the show notes too, Beautiful. if somebody's interested in being a volunteer, where they can go for that. And then let's say somebody just would like to be one of the people walking mm -hmm. to end Alzheimer's. So they don't have they don't have anybody who maybe has Alzheimer's. They don't know anybody with dementia. They don't have time to be a volunteer. But man, I would love to walk and help support. How does that work for an individual? How do they participate? And then then just kind of elaborate on that for us. So the great thing is that we just it's easy enough for them to navigate from our website to to the respective um, walk that they may be interested in. Um, 
If they start at alz.org slash DSW for Desert Southwest, there's a tab that says get involved. There's a tab that says walk to end Alzheimer's. You put in your zip code or you just see all of the walks. Our chapter actually holds eight walks, two in, in um, Tucson, two in Phoenix, two in Northern Arizona, and one in Las Vegas. And so they're able to say, oh, okay, I'm interested in going to Sedona or I'm interested in going to Verde Valley. They click on that one and it gets them registered online. And what's phenomenal is we don't require you to, to fundraise. I mean, if you just register to say, I just want to show up to walk, that's great. If you're wanting to help raise funds, that's phenomenal. Um, if they raise or give a minimum of $100, they definitely get a walk t-shirt which is really cool. Um, if they raise more than that, there are different incentive levels. So, you know, their work is not in vain um, <laughs> in that regard. They get some acknowledgement Most for definitely. their contribution and their time. Most definitely. And then they're able to get updates and information from our website. So they can also call the 800 number. And I don't think I've ever given it. I know you're going to have it in the show notes, but it's 800-272-3900. So even in that space, they can call and just say, I, I live in such and such, or I'm here and I'm interested. Are there any walks in Northern Arizona? And they can even give them that information and connect them to how to register and to how to volunteer. Well, it makes a lot of sense if you get a thousand people to walk and in a, in a perfect world, a thousand people raise a hundred dollars each. Wow. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wow. And that would be a huge difference, wouldn't it? Huge, huge. And how much more awareness about our programs and services. Because it is something be? that's very prevalent in our society. Does it seem like it's growing the percentage? Almost yeah. I say most definitely and not in a, in a great way, but the reality is Arizona is ranked the um, number one state in the country for projected growth. Of Alzheimer's. Of Alzheimer's and dementia. So it's all, all dementias. And people will say, well, you would think that it's Florida. Yeah, it's just really based on, you know, where people are lo relocating and, and what the ages look like. And when you think about Verde Valley and like parts of Sedona and how those are, you know, destinations for, for a lot this of retirees. Age. Yeah, a lot exactly. of retirees. Yeah. So uh, when you look at it from our chapter standpoint, um, Arizona is ranked number one for projected growth and uh, Nevada is ranked number three. So we're not proud to hold those, but it just shows how much uh, education support uh, that there needs to be really? to ramp there, up in this area. For sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is, is the Alzheimer's Association, is it a nonprofit? It is, you know, oftentimes we hear, oh, but it's this national organization. And it is a national organization and, and you know, research by far um, is where we're prevalent in the national area. But when you bring it down to a local community, it is our support groups. It is our education presentations. It is definitely the 24-7 helpline and advocacy. We definitely are growing, particularly for the state of Arizona, in public policy and advocacy to bring more awareness to funds, research, support um, of the needs of, of families that are, are in our communities. So yes, it is a 501c3, so. So, okay, so 
if I'm a person, well, I don't know anybody with Alzheimer's and I don't have time to volunteer and I'm not interested in the walk, but I like a good tax deduction. Mm-hmm. We would take it with open arms. All righty. Yeah. So is there a limit on what people can give? No, I mean, we don't, we, we're not eligible to be a tax credit type of thing, but they can, they can make donations if, if they're looking to do a major donation. And we do have people that, you know, that do major, we actually have, um, staff or teams that help to help guide and consult um, in that way. And what we often hear is, yeah, but I want to make sure my dollar stays local. Well, that's what, you know, the work that we're doing through the walks and having that ability to make a donation to the Desert Southwest chapter and specifically say, you know, I want to support Northern Arizona and that that money will come to different areas in that way. Yeah. So the walk itself, or do they vary? Does it vary in like distance? Does it, is it, you know, is it uh, you walk in a group, you walk by yourself? Like how, do, how does it get orchestrated? That's exactly how it gets orchestrated. <laughs> Our goal is to create a 5K length. It is a walk. It is not a run. <laughs> it's not a marathon. <laughs> and it is not. And people, I say, we don't bring bibs and all of this is an, an opportunity for people to gather and just you know, commiserate and, and support a, a very important cause. Um, but the way that we structure it is that we try to, to do a route that is equal to, you know, 5K, that's what, just over three miles. But then to give that flexibility that if someone only wants to walk two miles, they can turn around at, at a certain point. And if somebody only wants to walk one mile, um, last year's walk, particularly for, you know, Verde Valley, um, we had families, like I said, that came from Holbrook, from Sholo. And what was beautiful was it's, it's also, it's wheelchair friendly. So families who have their loved one with dementia who are wheelchair bound and you see them, they're pushing them along. And, you know, one family that comes to mind in particular, I mean, she had the biggest smile on her face because she had her village um, with her. It's dog friendly. We don't. That was, don't. My, that was my next question. It Can is you bring definitely dog friendly, and we usually have what we call a, a pet registration. So you can register your dog, and you know if we're able to get secure sponsors, which we're still looking for for our walks, that um, there is opportunities to be a sponsor. So we would welcome that. But yeah, pet registration as well. That's awesome. So what does sponsorship look like? Like a business, an individual? For for the Verde Valley Walk, we actually have both. Usually it's it's a um, it's a business who wants to help support, but, you know, also to get some of the benefits of of the exposure um, from promotion. But this year we actually have a a woman who her husband died from dementia and she's been connected to our association and understands the work that we do. And so she is actually our Promise Garden sponsor and she's um, sponsoring in loving memory of of her husband Aww. but by far it is it's businesses that are able to come together and depending on the level that they're they're able to get involved uh, for as little as five hundred dollars they would have a table the day of um and then they do get some recognition on the website and and um and day of marketing and then we have um, sponsorship levels of a thousand dollars twenty five hundred and then five thousand and as you know, those who are supporting, they grow their level of benefits, if you will, um, grow as well. So we are welcoming and we do have quite a few new sponsors yet this year. And there's still opportunities to to get involved in that way. 
That's great. And they, again, to keep it simple, they can contact the 800 number and just say, I'm interested in getting information about the, you know, sponsoring or the walk to end Alzheimer's for Northern Arizona. And then that person will be able to, you know, dispatch, if you will, that information for us to do follow up. And I'm sure no donation is too small. Never. So, I mean, I, I, I've seen that on GoFundMes. I've mm-hmm. seen that on plenty of fundraisers that some people may only have $5, $20, maybe 100 that and makes a difference. And every little bit counts. Most, and it's not little. Every, every bit counts. Um, for, for, our, um, for those who register, I mean, there are tools that we have some phenomenal tools um, or arsenal, if you will, at the ready for people. So say, Linda, you, you created a team or, or you signed up to participate. We have what's called a participant center. And even in that center, you can do your story that goes up on your website and you're able to email out your link that if people want to donate, they can click the donate button. You can also launch a Facebook fundraiser. It's key. If you do that, you launch your Facebook fundraiser through your participant center not directly through Facebook. And the great thing is if you launch it as people donate, it, it increases your, 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 your donations that are coming in against your goal. So oh. it's always really exciting. Say so you say, I want to, I want to raise $500. Okay. That's great. And as people are donating, it'll say, okay, she's got $250 towards her $500 goal. I mean, it, it's very interactive in that way. And it doesn't stop. You don't, some people say, oh, I still want to get to that goal you have until the end of the year. But our, our desire is to try to reach our goal by walk day. That's fantastic. There's so many ways that you can participate. I mean, you, you've, got, you've got the social media aspect. You can go to the website. You can call the 800 number and you can get any of this information. If there's anything that you're looking for, whether it's you're a caregiver mm-hmm. or you have somebody you love who's who's been diagnosed mm-hmm. or you want to volunteer mm-hmm. or you'd like to be a sponsor. We try or, to cover all. all yes. Places. Or even if you're just looking for information to understand it more. Yeah. And if you're a person with. So if you're in the earlier stages and you've been diagnosed and you're still trying to, you know, you're just trying to get an understanding of what's to come. You can call too. It's not it's not limited, but ultimately for us, we want to know that we want you to know that there are those resources out there, that there is support at the ready to to be able to be a part of your team or your village in helping to to navigate. That's wonderful. Yeah, truly. So on a personal note, (laughs) to end this podcast today, what has been for you the most rewarding part of doing what you do? You've been doing this for a while, right? Well, actually, I've been doing this um, in this capacity. It was three years in February. So new to this space, but I have done nonprofit work the majority of my career. And um, did you know about Alzheimer's before you came on board with this company? No, because I was one who I haven't had a direct you know, impact, or let's just say, I didn't know, you know, now that I'm learning and, and what I've been able to gather myself um, in this in this journey, I actually think that my grandfather had it, but he passed away, you know, when I was in my teens. Mm-hmm. And we, we just said, oh, something's not right. You know, that was been when it was always senile or it's this. Huh? So now I'm like, you know, I think he he probably did, 
And that was well before the, the association was even established. I wonder how people dealt with this, it's, you know, in days gone by. Like you said, maybe he's just senile. Or I, I remember I had a great-grandmother I heard about, and nobody liked her. Mm-hmm. And she just sat on her rocking chair in the front, and nobody, because she was, they just said she was crazy. Exactly. And so maybe she actually had Alzheimer's. Or dementia, yeah, a form, yeah. Of, a form of dementia. And so that's what I, I think. So it's... Um, the honor that I have had to to meet the families and the caregivers and even those that have been impacted by the disease that, you know, has been my drive to want to have, you know, appreciate conversations like the one that we're having to make people aware because I, I know and I've heard how isolating this disease is and people, you know, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want anyone to know. And so they just think this is the hand that I've been dealt and I just got to figure it out. Well, well, no, there's a whole community, there's a whole community of support. I tell people if it's 10 o'clock at night and you're so ticked off at your loved one, we're a safe space for you to say, I just need to vent. And that's what our trained master level clinicians and social workers are trained to do is they they allow you to vent, but then they're there to help you. Okay, so how can we help you to address, you know, you're dealing with this behavior when you see it again, because you will, how can you be prepared to navigate and not be consumed with trying to get them to do something? So it's, it's that teaching and it's bringing to light and it's, again, I'll say it's affirming. Yes, that's a symptom. And people are, oh, so that's common? Yes, that's part of the disease. So now how can we help you Well, that's the to thing. Manage it? Knowledge is power. It truly is. And it's, it's clear that the Alzheimer's Association, I mean, front to back, the way it's set up, not just the walk, but literally the organization itself is set up to empower people. And that's exactly it. Because I think it's clear that dementia and Alzheimer's feels very disempowering mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of education around it. And it's not as common, you know, it's not common a place to just, just, just discuss it unless maybe you work in senior housing or mm-hmm. you work with elders mm-hmm. but or work in a hospital, mm-hmm. you know, with people. So this is this is very enlightening yeah. and, and so grateful to you. I enjoy this opportunity because one of the things I think is worth, you know, and, and maybe we end or leave it there, but, you know, people who know that they have the disease or their family member has the disease or they think that they do, you know, what I have observed or surmised that they go through the stages of grief. And so in going through the stages of grief, it's about, to your point, empowering yourself to say, I'm not going to let this defeat me. I you know, I want to be be proactive, even in this dark space. And we're here to help you be proactive and and to um, empower know, you, empower you, and give you the tools because you do. You need tools to navigate. We this all space. do. We mm-hmm. all do. I mean, we need tools to navigate life, life exactly. And this is a whole another aspect of life mm-hmm. and of aging, and it can hit you when you're young. I'm 53, mm-hmm. so that story about your coworker and her husband that really hit home for mm-hmm. me. I I would never associate it with 
my age group. Mm -hmm. But now I know that it can happen. And it's free. It's The services that we provide and we're able to provide because of things like the walk and donations that we receive are free because we definitely don't want to add to the burden. the burden we want to bring to light. We want to bring people from darkness to light. That's wonderful. In this journey. That's wonderful. Okay, so one more time, the 800 number. 800-272-3900. And the website? alz.org. And if you do slash DSW, it brings you specifically to the Desert Southwest chapter, which covers Arizona and Southern Nevada. That's fantastic. You are not alone. Thank you so much. This is Miss Leslie Jenkins, Northern Arizona Community Executive for the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you for your time today. I, I really believe this is going to help a lot of people who are hearing this podcast. And please share this. Please share this with your family members. Share it with your friends. You can put it out on social media if you know of somebody or you're in a in a, a business or you're in a company where maybe you're dealing with seniors, mm-hmm. senior care. Please feel free to share this information. We want to help all of our 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 friends and family and community members across the country that are dealing with this. And this is a wonderful, wonderful resource for anyone dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's. Thank you again. Oh, thank you, Linda. This was fun. Thank you so much for joining us today on Senior Living Arizona. Please share this podcast with friends and family and help seniors find the way to live life to the fullest. Help Senior Living Arizona increase our reach by taking a few moments to write a review. Senior Living Arizona is dedicated to bringing helpful tips that support aging successfully. Please reach out to us with topics you'd like us to cover. You can find us on social media at Senior Living Arizona and on the web at www.slscommunities.com.